Welcome to the Silver Screen Guide Podcast. Join Corbin and Alan, along with guest hosts, as they bring their love for the cinema to discuss films from every genre and decade. Learn about the history of the film, little-known facts, and insightful explorations while they enjoy discussing your favorite film. The curtain is rising and your podcast is starting. So sit back, relax, and enjoy your guide to the silver screen. Welcome, listeners, to the first installment in our A Quiet Place movie review series. This is your co-host, Corbin. And I'm Alan. So you might be saying, why are you guys doing A Quiet Place right now? Considering A Quiet Place Part 2 as of right now, does not come out until September of 2021, yeah, of this year. Well, this movie was actually supposed to come out March of last year, then September of last year, and uh, it was supposed to be released April 23rd, 2021. So by the time you're listening to this, you technically should have been in the theater or yeah, I guess it's theatrical only in the theater seeing this movie a couple days ago. So this week we are doing A Quiet Place. Next week we are actually going to be, it's not a part of the universe, it's not a sequel, but we are going to be reviewing the Netflix film Bird Box, which came out around the same time, had a very similar concept. It was a little weird that these movies came out so close apart and dealt with a very, very similar subject matter and we're close in many ways so i've seen it but i don't think you've seen bird box right alan right yeah i haven't seen bird box yet um i know of all the hype that was surrounding it but actually sitting down (laughs) and watching it i haven't done yet so that's kind of what we're doing right now and when september does roll around when the movie does finally come out we will be seeing it for an official release date of the episode as of right now once again because of the virus and you know movie theater choices pushing that around check the schedule that will be up to date link is in the description below that will tell you when our review of a quiet place part two is coming out and while you're down there there's a lot down there um follow me and alan on letterboxd you can see what we're watching every week we watch more than just these movies that we review um that will give you some free mini reviews as well and you can comment on those reviews it's really cool comment on that um people are really liking my borat review spoiler alert it's not a good review (laughs) oh dear so yeah go check out my review for Borat subsequent movie film. Um, but also while you're down there, like I said, we always um, have the next four weeks of reviews listed out. So you know it's coming up. You can watch those movies ahead of time. We are on all major podcast platforms. So links to those, links to our Facebook, Twitter, official website if you want to follow us on there. Also, our Patreon page where you can come subscribe for a small fee every month and we will give you some great bonus content and some interactions as well. So that's a great way to support us. And if you're looking for a free way to support us, no matter where you're listening, make sure to leave us five stars and a short written review. That written review actually does help in the rankings and that does get us even closer to becoming verified critics on Rotten Tomatoes. So those are just some really easy things you can do to help us out. And of course, if you're ready to just jump straight into our review of the film, our thoughts, or even our ratings for this movie, timestamps are always down there as well. 
Now, if you're curious about us talking about scores, we used to always talk about scores in box office during like right before the review in this main episode. That is its own episode. That is your guide to a quiet place that came out uh, Thursday of last week. So go ahead and listen to that so you can know what this film is like, what audiences thought of it straight out of the theater, how well it did at the box office. So if you're ever curious, you ever want to know about that, Alan and I do kind of a little, what do you want to call it? pre-game show movie talk or something that always comes out right. the Thursday before the Monday review. Well, Alan, I don't remember. Did you see this one in theaters? Did you see it theatrically? I did. Um, I was looking at, I have, so I'm a nerd and I have a big spreadsheet of all the movie tickets that I have collected and like the dates and I'm all yeah. It actually, of the time of this recording, which is on April 9th, um, I had watched it in the theater almost to the day about three years ago. Uh, I think it was like <laughs> April 7th, I want to say. So, yeah, I got to see this one in the theater. And I remember this theatrical experience. This was one of the more unique ones where because of how this film is made, which is, you know, the opening is pretty quiet. Um, I remember being like afraid to move in my seat because I was afraid it was going to make too much noise, mm -hmm. right? It was it was like that dead silent at the th in the theater for at least the opening few minutes. Um, so for me, I remember it being a very unique experience in the theater for watch watching this one. Um, yeah, I did get to see it in the theater. Most because I heard all the hype around it too. Um, what about you, Corbin? Did you get to see it in the theater? That is funny because I actually, thanks to the power of Letterboxd, I logged it. I saw this April 7th, 2018 opening weekend as well. And yeah, we didn't see it together, I should say. No. no. Uh, <laughs> I wasn't going to make the trek out to the east side just to see it with you. No, I'm just kidding. Well, I, I think I was actually in Chicago at the time for college. Oh, yeah. That's a good point. That's a good point. So I did actually see it opening weekend with my family, and it was a great, I mean, a great theatrical experience. I'm with Alan. You really do need to experience this movie with a group of people, you know, primarily, if possible, in a theatrical setting. And if you missed it in 2018, then you're going to get a chance later this year with a sequel. And especially have a great sound system, because this movie is oh, yeah. all about sound design, sound mixing. It's Crazy. And I'll talk about my experience watching it or this time around with my wife. I was able to watch it in my home with Dolby Atmos. I was, I was almost just as scared once again mm -hmm. with the whole sound and stuff as I was in the theater, but I saw it. And funny enough, you and I have actually watched this movie together already before Alan and I didn't even remember it. We did, didn't we? <laughs> we did. We, we watched it just a few months after the theatrical viewing. We watched it July 17th of 2018. We um, watched it at a friend's house. We did? Uh, I, I, can't, I remember can't, that. Can't. I'm trying to remember when, when, when that was. Like, or I don't remember watching that at all. I didn't. Maybe we did. Maybe I didn't I was remember. I completely zoned out. I didn't remember it either, but it is on Letterboxd. So if you want to go All right. dig it up, you can see that uh, we watched it together summer 2018, which I was kind of a little, I remember I was kind of apprehensive about since I just saw it in theaters. And then mm -hmm. I think some of our friends hadn't seen it. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll watch it again. Not to say that I didn't like the movie, but usually I don't watch movies like that close together. Right, right. But I still got to ask, 
it's clearly, I'm guessing the trailer and the, apparently the hype got you in in theaters a couple years ago. Would this trailer, does it still do it for you now? You still get back into theaters to see this? I think it does. Um, if this was a movie that hadn't come out back in 2018, or let's say, let's say I take myself back to 2018, knowing what I know now, seeing this, I would be interested. I would be very interested, mostly because of the name John Krasinski. You know, the guy from The Office, I think is what most mm-hmm. people that I was talking to were referencing or were hyped about, was that it was a film from John Krasinski. Not his first film, but one that looked really, really interesting. Um, one that he was really putting himself out there after The Office had finished up. So, yeah, I mean, I don't, I'm not like a huge fan of The Office, um, but I am, I would be very curious to see what this actor from The Office, um, what he could do. Now he's, you know, directing. Yeah, I am a huge fan of The Office and it was interesting to see John Krasinski branch out because he just kind of was the nerdy, lovable guy from that show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was, at this point, he was signed on to do Jack Ryan. I was a little late to that train, but now I love the show. He is phenomenal in it. But this trailer absolutely is awesome. It looks crazy intense. It looks like Honestly, kind of looks like what The Village promised to be in very similar ways. That M. Night Shyamalan film, yeah. which we have reviewed. It kind of was like that. And yeah, also, I wanted to comment that on the, what you said about the theatrical experience. I was the same way in the theater. I was holding my breath. I was trying not to breathe. And it's weird because this movie does get in your head like that. Even this time when I was watching it in the basement with my wife, I'm whispering to her when we're talking about stuff and she's like, why are you whispering? I'm like, I mm-hmm. wasn't trying to, it was just subconscious. It just, it just felt like that's what I'm supposed to do. So right. it is a very unique movie experience. I'll say that. Right. Absolutely. Well, listeners, if you have not seen a quiet place and you don't want the film spoiled for you, go ahead and click pause right now. Go ahead and check out the film. I don't think it's streaming. If you have FX now, you can watch it there, um, but I don't think it's anywhere else. Yeah. At least nowhere nowhere for free, at least. Nope. Long live physical media. It is not streaming, so go go figure out how to get your hands on it. Once you watch it, then come back and click play here on the podcast, and we'll be ready to talk about it. It's been 89 days since creatures have disrupted life on planet Earth. The Abbott family, headed by husband Lee, played by John Krasinski, is taking his family on a supply run when youngest, Bo, played by Cade Woodward, is taken by one of the creatures. These devastating monsters are blind, but they have precision hearing. Whatever they hear, they destroy. Just over a year later, the family is trying to carry on, but it's clear strife is causing strain on the family dynamics. Wife Evelyn, played by Krasinski's real-life wife, Emily Blunt, is now a child. Daughter Reagan, played by Millicent Simmons, feels her dad no longer loves her, since she blames herself for the death of Bo, and son Marcus, played by Noah Jupe, is coming to terms with the world around him during adolescence. One day, Lee and Marcus go on a father and son trip. Reagan runs off, frustrated about life and the fact her hearing aids may never work, and Evelyn is struggling with grief in domestic life. On that fateful day, Evelyn's water breaks, she gives birth, Lee and Marcus run back to the house, Marcus sets off fireworks to distract the creatures in order for Lee to deliver his wife safely to their soundproof basement. Reagan and Marcus are separated from their parents and nearly perish in a grain elevator, but they are rescued by their dad, who lets her know he's always loved her, 
as he gives his life to protect them. The kids ride on an old truck back to the house, where they reunite with their mother. But the family is not safe yet. They must contend with the creature one last time. Reagan realizes her hearing aid is a blessing instead of a curse. She creates such intense feedback on her father's microphone, it gives her mother time to blast it with a shotgun. Despite the loss of their patriarch, the family shows no backing down as Evelyn pumps her shotgun as credits roll. Well, you know, Corbin, for all the complex plots we've been giving you, I'm glad you got to do one that's rather simple again. But for this opening scene, I, I do got to say, Corbin, what are, what are your thoughts for this opening scene? Um, because I think it does quite a lot to like explain how this world works, right? Especially mm-hmm. when, of course, the kid is, you know, I guess, killed by the monsters. Um, you kind of get an idea as, you know, okay, now they have to be very quiet. What do they have to be quiet about? And then when the, when the young, youngest son is then killed, you get this, oh, now I understand the danger that we're in. What, so what are your thoughts on this opening? Yeah, this opening, first of all, it drops us in without explanation. There's no kind of opening title cards to explain what has happened to the world or what has happened to this family. All that we know is that there's this a great shot of this little boy kind of tiptoeing around, not really on purpose, but they clearly didn't give him shoes for a reason. But he's running around mm-hmm. and you're learning all these people have to be quiet. And that's actually the hook that they got John Krasinski in to even be a part of this movie is the hook is a family has to be quiet and you have to find out why, essentially. And so this opening hook is an opening pro- prologue, I would say, because the film jumps about a year later almost. Um, it's fantastic. Right. I was gripped. I was, it's very eerie, honestly, that no one is around. You don't hear any birds. You don't really hear any animals. You just kind of hear the leaves. We're also introduced to the deaf daughter and you hear like nothing inside her head except kind of her heartbeat and maybe some other what she might hear internally in her body. And then, um, yeah, once the little boy dies, it's, you know, it's real. You know, this movie isn't going to pull any punches if they're killing off a child in the first couple minutes, which is kind of crazy. Mm-hmm to pitch like, Hey, the, the youngest son, we're going to kill him immediately. And the studio execs would be like, what they do it. So yeah, I, I love the opening. Yeah. I, I, I do agree that this was, it's interesting that, you know, it, it goes for almost, almost absolute silence in this opening. Like I think it's up until the little boy, um, like turns on that spaceship or his toy that's when like the sound starts coming back a little bit, right? For the most part, this opening is really, really quiet. Like I think there's some noise at the beginning when it first starts up, but then it just kind of really quiets down for a good chunk of that opening. Um, and that's what initially drew me in was, you know, walking around in almost complete silence for a good five, six minutes almost. It's just like, it's just eerie, right? It's just, it gives you this weird feeling because you know that why do they, you're asking questions. I was, I was asking questions when I was in the theater. Like, why do they be like extremely careful, like picking anything up to place it or to take with them back to their home, right? Because I know that they're in like a grocery store. So it just, it kind of added to it when the kid finally turns on his, I guess it's like a space shuttle like toy um, and starts making mm-hmm. noises. Um, and then he gets killed for it. And not, like you said, yeah, now we understand like what's happening. Like now we understand kind of like what the stakes are. Now they're, they're willing to 
you know, sacrifice a child to, you know, go that far, which not many films would do, especially ones with other uh, wanting to go for like, you know, a lot of audiences. So, you yeah, know, I agree. This opening is very effective where it like really gets you into how this world works by showing you, but without like telling you, right? That's kind of a big thing about this film is a show not tell. And that it does that very well, I, I would say, through its through how it works with the sound. Yeah, and, and the tension is palpable. You can feel it because there's not many movies that you don't really hear a word for the beginning. Um, I'm I'm thinking of uh, There Will Be Blood with Daniel Day-Lewis. I'm pretty sure that's another one where you just don't hear stuff going on. But what makes the tension more real is they can't make a sound because that has mm -hmm. to do with their survival. And it's hard because they have a son that's sick, uh, daughters, probably like a young teenager, and then a little boy. And yeah, there's a lot that there's a lot of emotions to unpack later on with his death. But uh, I got to say, it still gives me chills when he is running and he can't save him in time and he has to live with that. Yeah. And I know like my wife can't look at that scene. It is intense. Um, the other thing that I'm noticing right off the bat is the music, which was done by Marco Beltrami. It's really good. It's kind of mm -hmm. this weird blend of The Last of the Mohicans mixed with Silent Hill 2 and a little bit of Alien. Uh, that's just what yeah. I picked up on. It's weird, but it really works. Um, and, you know, withholding dialogue and putting um, cinematography sounds production design in the forefront that does allow us to focus on things that we would otherwise not really pay much attention to in movies i gotta say just right off the bat the sound design should have got an oscar at least the sound design i think i and know it, it didn't that, get <laughs> i know that sound editing got a oscar nomination i don't think it won um it should have won it was so up. disappointing that it didn't win yeah, it got a nomination, and that's as far as it went. Um, what did win that year for best? It's 2019, so what won that year for best audio, edit audio editing? It was Bohemian Rhapsody that won for sound editing. Right. Yeah. And sound mixing. Right. I'm yeah. yeah. Yeah, this was the year that Black Panther was up for like eight Oscars, and <laughs> Bohemian Rhapsody was up for a bunch of Oscars, one of them being uh, editing, and Roma was a great film, but... Yeah, Didn't you can win. hear us talk all about that. We'll link to that one because we did have some uh, interesting conversations over that. But the fact mm -hmm. that it didn't win is I found to be so frustrating. I'm glad it at least got nominated. I think this movie should have gotten a lot more nominations. I'll probably save that for the end. The other thing that I think is very striking is despite these people are constantly living in terror and now they have a lot of heartbreak to deal with. There is a piece mm -hmm. that's in this movie. It's like this constant like tightrope back between peace and tension where these family is trying to strive for some normalcy. The kids are trying to play Monopoly. Um, they're kind of doing their chores like learning English. They're, they're being homeschooled. Life has to go on. You know, these family isn't going to revert to Neanderthals and just be like, well, right. you know, you're not going to be educated anymore, which is something that I... I don't think they very rarely show in these type of post-apocalyptic movies 
where mm-hmm. life has to kind of go on. Like these kids are still being homeschooled. They're still trying to achieve some normalcy. It's not like The Last of Us where Ellie doesn't go to, we never get to see her go to school. I'm just saying. Right. <laughs> but right. Um, yeah, I do like that there is, it's a very beautiful, peaceful place. But there's always that tightrope of tension. You never know when tension is going to strike, which makes it makes it very pretty to look at, but very uneasy to sit through. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. And I think one of my other favorite things too is that, you know, this movie also doesn't explain everything, right? Mm. We don't really know yeah. where these monsters came from. We know that there look to be like other families or other communities around where our main characters are at when um when John when John Krasinski's character like lights the flame above the silo and we see other mm-hmm. flames out in the distance, right? But we never see any of them. Um, so it and as to like why they like where the monsters came from and why they use sound and like the, there are a lot of questions that they bring up, but this film never really answers, right? They're kind of just left up for the, the audience's mostly mostly just their interpretation, and I find that to be wildly interesting too is that, you know, because we don't have an answer for all of these things, um, you're left to your own devices to figure out and kind of try and piece together and understand, like, why in the world would this be, right? Why would these monsters be here? Be here? What caused these monsters? That kind of a thing. And that, I think, is what makes this movie, at least for me, the most interesting uh, part about it is what it doesn't explain. And I always love it when films just kind of create something but never really go far enough to over explain it because i feel like nowadays we get too much of that where things are just over explained there's everyone has to understand why this is the way that it is i like seeing a film like this where they don't really do that they just kind of like make it um it fits within the world but they don't really explain like its origins or where it came from or things like that yeah that's why i I really appreciate this movie drops us into their situation and Never explains. We just get newspaper clippings uh, that the world is basically destroyed. The world's basically (laughs) fallen to ruin. And I think the thing that is the most surprising is this movie starts on day 89, which is Mm -hmm. just under just right on the cusp of being three months. And you can see we're assuming day 89 since the world, since these aliens came or since the world first kind of had to deal with this it's been three months and civilization has essentially utterly collapsed which is really scary to think about how it could happen that fast and i guess what's even more creepy if you put it into context is this movie does this we know the son dies you look at his grave marker he dies in 2020 which is Mm -hmm. The year we got COVID <laughs> and yeah. uh, the, the world true. kind of got all messed up. So it's always weird when movies take place during the same year of real life kind of catastrophes or disasters happen as well. Mm-hmm. But the movie does jump ahead to over a year later and you realize that nothing has really gotten better. They've had, like I said, almost they've had about a year to deal with it and there's still a lot of pain in these people's lives. And they're not really able to let that out and express it how they want to. They have to really find different ways to express that. And you can see this family is really struggling to hold itself together and express themselves. And it's like, what if a family couldn't verbally express and 
You know, these parents know sign language because their daughter's deaf and that actress is actually deaf in real life. Mm -hmm. But you do see this communication breakdown. Um, it's just a really fantastic scene also where, especially the way it's shot, where he gets down kind of on his knees to talk to her or to sign with her. And she's like, nothing's going to work. She's just kind of being a bratty teenager. But you could tell there's also this um, kind of self-inflicted uh, punishment because she's the one that gave her little brother the air, the spaceship. And yeah. she feels partially responsible for that. But it's never really brought up. But you know the dad also feels responsible because – and I told this to my wife. I'm like, he should have taken those batteries. He shouldn't have just left them there for the little boy right. to get – and the mom also feels responsible because she could have carried them. And the little brother, the other brother was sick. He was, his dad was carrying him. Um, and then, of course, everybody all left him at the back of the train to walk behind them, which is incredibly stupid. So, you can see everybody has a lot of heartbreak in that. So, I like that this movie brings in personal tragedy. It's not just trying to survive from the monsters. Right, yeah, there is definitely a weight coming in past that first opening uh, of this movie. Is you know now they now that a tragedy has happened, you know how is this family going to deal with that? Right? How are they? How is this family going to deal with the loss of their son um, or the loss of their sibling? Right? And yeah, when we flash forward another year, like you mentioned, it's like things haven't nothing's really changed. Like everyone still kind of holds on to the pain that happened how about a year or so ago and now mom's about to give birth to another son um here very very soon so is it going to happen again um you know what what's what's going to happen what are they going to do with the new that newborn baby um yeah so there are a lot of questions that are brought up here when they cut back so long after that opening scene when the son dies um and it does raise a lot of questions like because we know, I think it's pretty obvious, right? Mom is pregnant. She's going to give birth at some point in this film, right? And how are they going to deal with that? That's my biggest question is how are they going to deal with the birth of their son, which is not exactly a uh, a quiet event <laughs> to mm -hmm. happen. Um, and of course, they do answer that a little bit later. But that's my biggest question is like, what's going to happen now? What's going to happen with this new son when they give birth to it? It is creepy when they when she's... um. They're soundproofing the room and they're also mm -hmm. making the crib, the quiet crib, which just kind of seems like a coffin because they can seal it while putting oxygen on the baby's mouth. It's just a, it's really hard to go through. But I think this also solidifies for me just looking around at this movie in general as the production design for the most part is rock solid. I mean, mm -hmm. I think they did a phenomenal job. Not just what they had to do, they actually had to plant all of that corn. They actually had to put up that grain silo, wasn't up there originally. Uh, they kind of had yeah. to restore the whole area, but just how it looks with the sand. And it, there's just something very, like I said, serene. But also, like for instance, when the dad and son are coming back and that old man starts screaming... There's just something mm -hmm. about how like dark those woods are and how these things just kind of come out of nowhere. That's just very frightening. Yeah, they're like in the middle of nowhere, right? They're mm -hmm. a very, it's almost like they're, and I guess this kind of gets into somewhat of my reading of the film. Um, 
is it's like they're like in the middle of nowhere. Like there's somewhere there's somewhere in the Midwest it feels like because of all the farmland um, and yep. and stuff like that. And a lot of like people it's like we know there are people around, um, but like an old man and his wife and like in the middle of nowhere to some I guess it's some like waterfall or pond or whatever. Um, it feels like we're somewhere in the Midwest, right? So it almost feels like this film is, especially when you get down to it, the monsters, right? It's like this film, uh, the families feel like they need to protect their kids from falling into some kind of like, almost like ideology maybe, um, where they feel like they need to protect them because if they make any kind of sound, right? The, the thing about this movie is if they make any sound, right? Then these monsters will come after them. So it kind of feels like this is a film hearkening on, you know, those who believe something but can't preach it too loud or can't talk about it too loud without the louder voices coming and tearing them down. Yeah, and that's a possibility of why they don't have a community, which was a really strange thing. That's a question I brought up while watching it was mm -hmm. clearly there's other people because we see those other fires lit but they have no desire to live in any kind of community. They don't want to right. create any safe space. They don't want to create, uh, there's no barriers around their property, which is really strange because these monsters, we see them just unfettered, just have access, come straight into the house. So I think mm -hmm. that's really strange. And I'm wondering if they'll address that for a reasoning in the next film. But I think nevertheless, that's a, it's at least an intriguing idea for us to wrestle with is why does this family leave themselves vulnerable? Why is this community not rallying around together? To me, it seems to insinuate that there's just complete distrust among everybody is, as we saw with that old man, I don't know if he screamed on purpose or if he screamed because he was mad, he was ready to die. His wife was just killed seemingly or somebody was dead on the ground. So he wants to let yeah. it out. And I think there's this constant distrust of only we can control our kids, only we can protect them and do our best to keep them quiet. Who knows if somebody wakes up in the night screaming this or that, it puts us all in jeopardy. I, that's, that's a fascinating idea because all these post-apocalyptic movies People are always trying to rally into a community. This one's the opposite, right? Yeah, this one. You, this one also makes you feel like you know you're you're so separated from everything, right? Because mm -hmm. we're only taking place in. And I kind of brought this up when we were reviewing um, Night of the Living Dead, right? One of the big things with the movie is that it all takes place within one bit, like one area, right? Just the house, more or less. Right. So we really only get to experience what's happening, you know, in the events that are happening in the house. We hear about what's happening outside, but we're our characters are not out there. And it's the same thing here, minus the fact that we are like getting the, the newscasts from the outside world. We don't get any of that, right? We're very cut off from everything with this family. They're own they we only really see them and maybe that old man. Like that's like the only other person that they come across in this film. Um so yeah, they do. A, they 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 section them off from at least a, a, they section them off a lot from like almost everything. Everything feels very restrictive in that in the same space too. Because while there isn't really anybody around outside of you know maybe a few hundred yards down, if you go east a few hundred yards, there'll be another family there because we know that because of the flames that they uh, all put up at night. Um, they can only walk. In certain areas, like if they want to go to the grocery store, they have to walk on the sand path and they can't deviate from the sand path because that silences their footsteps. 
Um, of course, they can't talk. Uh, they can't make any noises. Um, so it, it feels like, you know, it's everything in this film feels very like sectioned off. Like we're like totally like not a, even a part of the rest of the world. It makes it feel like it makes it feel almost very lonely, almost, especially oh, except the fact that we have uh, our family members with us. Yeah, there is definitely that kind of somber feeling about it. And, you know, I was also thinking it's not just trusting other people, but that's where the roots are with their house. This is clearly a very rural community. And even if they did want to mm -hmm. go live somewhere, you can't build a house really without making noises. Um, right. it, it's just very, very limited. You have very limited mobility. And as you said, it's also dangerous. They just stick to the sand paths that they created. Clearly, the, fa the father has kind of created those paths and maybe other people use them as well. But there's a lot more to this movie that... It's not going to tell you, thankfully, but yeah, through our discussion, you just start thinking about it and you're like, oh yeah, they really are very limited in what they can do. And unfortunately, that does cause them to live a very solitary life. And I don't think I would go and venture into a big city. It's just not worth it. You just hunker down and try and try and take them out and hope not more of them come. But there also is that isolation. There's a fantastic scene. It's, ooh, it's intense where the daughter goes off and she's throwing her hearing aid because she's mad. She wants to go with the dad and kind of patch up their relationship, grow into a stronger relationship. But he's saying, you need to stay with your mom. She's pregnant, help her out. And then you see the mom mm -hmm. go into their son's room that had died and she just sits there and has to quietly cry to herself. Even she can't really let out those emotions. Um, and then that's, con that's contrasted with um, the waterfall scene, which I think is a great scene where they are kind of allowed to express themselves and the father and son can bond in that. So for all the horror and thrills this movie has, there's a lot of just great character moments as well of anguish, of joy, of bonding, sacrifice. This is a very character driven movie. That's another interesting thing too, is that, you know, we really don't get our, like, I would say our first real spoken lines of dialogue until like maybe the waterfall scene, right? I think there's like a couple of moments here where they kind of whisper and then there is a song, a time when the mom and dad like dance to a song. But in terms of like actually having a, like a full conversation, um, like a normal film would do, it isn't until about almost 40 minutes in, I think, when they, then when they finally have something like that. And if, you know, it's almost overshadowed by the waterfall that's that they're next to. So it's kind of interesting that the only way they can like really talk to each other, like like using words like we are, um, they have to go someplace where it, you know, it can drown out what they're saying, right? They're, what sound they produce is not going to carry at all because it's going to be drowned out by the waterfall that they're next to, something that's louder than they are. That is one of the few moments where I feel like, you know, there's some kind of tranquility, but at the same time, right, they're each member of the family in this scene that intercut with each other is they're all dealing, trying to figure out, trying to deal with the fact that, you know, the, that their brother or son had died about a year or so ago. They all feel like it's their fault, right? In different ways, they all feel like it's their fault. Um, so that makes for this, like, while it is at the same time tranquil, it's also at the same time kind of heartbreaking because they're all trying to figure out, like, you know, how do I, like, how do we deal with this, right? You know, how, how do they all deal with the fact that their brother or son you know, died and they feel like it's their fault, right? The family themselves is also like sectioned off so they can all deal with it themselves too. And it makes it for a very interesting scene. 
Yeah, and it is uh it's also jarring when you hear them talk for the first time. Mm-hmm. It just like not whispering, but just actually talking out loud. And it's even jarring too. Like when Krasinski talks to his wife, I think his name's Lee. They don't like really ever say their names. You can look on IMDb, but um, yeah, yeah, yeah. When uh, you can even tell she's like startled, like "What are you doing?" And he said, "It's okay. They can't hear us." Um, yeah, it is startling to for that as well. But speaking of startling, this is a scary movie to listen to just with the sound. Um, like I said, we. Listen to it in Dolby Atmos, which is a great all-encompassing way to do it. Oh my gosh, mm-hmm. I can't even tell you how bad we jumped with with this stuff all flying around us and just the bangs and then the tension in between that. Uh, oh, it's real. It's a very, it's one of those very scary movies and not really necessarily jump scares because mm-hmm. it's like almost any sound could be construed as a quote jump scare because it's a legitimate scare because you if you make a sound you very likely will get killed or put somebody else in jeopardy so oh i gotta say get the get the surround sound out crank it up oh you will uh not be sorry it's a it's intense yeah and that's like the more that's the best that's one of the more interesting things about the sound too is that like they're not like super loud right they're about standard what you know something would sound like if it were to make that sound in real life like it's it's not like they made it so it is super loud necessarily but because it's surrounded by almost complete silence that's what makes it much louder too um especially when the kid like he's messing with the toy puts the batteries back in and the next thing he knows like the thing's going off right it makes it it comes off it's if it's more like it's louder than it actually is right because it's surrounded by silence so it makes those moments where you know there is sound um, especially when it's like trying to go for more of a horror aspect, right? It makes those moments feel as if they're even more, like even louder than they actually are. And of course, raises that tension because you know, if, obviously, that if it makes sound, those monsters or whatever those things are going to come after it. Um, and there's going to be a lot of danger there. So they do something, they, they do play an interesting, uh, they do play an interesting game with the sound because it's not like it, the way, the way that they use it is what makes it effective, right? Yeah, I wouldn't say that the sound design is anything spectacular, but the way that they use it, how when they decide to make it silent, when they decide to make like have something like make a sound, um, that kind of a thing, that's what makes this film very effective. That's what got me in the theater and had me at the point where I was scared to move in my seat, but because I was afraid of making too much noise in the theater. That's that I think makes this movie far unique um, when it comes to its sound and its sound editing and its sound design. My favorite scene in the movie is, what do you want to call it? The red light scene when the father and son are coming home and they see the red mm-hmm. lights are switched on, which is a non-auditory signal that there's trouble. She's going into right. labor. It's kind of, as my wife put it, anything that can go wrong is going wrong all at once. Yeah. Um, the daughter's at the little brother's grave or at least, you know, grave marker. And when she sees the fireworks go off, uh, the father has to put his son and into danger. He's like, you got to step up and do it. You got to go light those fireworks to distract them. I got to go protect your mother. She can't hold it any longer. She stepped on a nail. She's screaming her head off. And there's just that the music also kicks in at this point, And it's really intense with like these really intense strings. 
and you just see him he's grabbed a shotgun and he's just booking it across their land and this also mm-hmm. shows you that we now have kind of almost another addition to the family that works against them and it's their own land it's their own property that right they have to contend with they can't speak to it they can't reason with it they have designed it clearly with their crops they need the crops it's necessary but at the same time there's so many places to get lost it takes forever to run across there um i think the great use is making it a very spaced out area a lot of places will like we talked about like you just brought up night of the living dead pretty much takes place in one house now there's a great usage of space before that but this Mm -hmm. also i think has a great usage of space and whatnot um oh it's it's really good i like that um other things i also did want to just throw out there is i think the editing and pacing of this movie is top notch as well yeah i i will partially agree on pacing um i think as after the waterfall scene um i feel like and this might be because it doesn't have th- this film is very simple, um, which is yeah. I would say both for its gain and also f- somewhat of its uh, of a takeaway for me, um, because while it is very simple, um, there isn't a whole lot to really discuss and really develop in this film. So when it gets to a certain point, I feel like it just kind of starts to slow down in terms of like developing our characters. But um, I will say that you're right; it's very it's only an hour and a half. It's very quick, and this film doesn't really waste much time by like um, by having things in it that don't really belong there, right? I feel so. It's very fast, and it feels almost like, and especially those times where like it is like really quiet for the first few uh, minutes of this film. You know, they feel like they just kind of. It feels like they like they really are pulling it when it comes to building that tension. Um, so for what time that they do use, I think they use it very well. I wouldn't say it's necessarily the best paced film, but it is. It is a brisk pace. It isn't like wasting any time. Yeah, I guess I'll take the opposite point. And to me, this is almost like a short story come to life. And they were able to pull it into a feature runtime. From what I heard, the original script was only 67 pages, which is tiny because usually there's um, one page equals one minute of the movie. Clearly, this isn't Mm -hmm. a 67 minute movie, but it's very small. But I think this is very intentionally paced and very important what we see these characters do and when they do it because the movie's going to open with the little brother's death it's going to kind of climax with the father's death and then have the epilogue of this family kind of really learning that they can fight back after the father's sacrifice and so i think we get just enough character moments to care for these characters and realize where they're at in their life and realize that they live a very lonely existence, but they still can learn to love as they're coming to adjust with it. Uh, it, it is a very short mm. movie. I'm always surprised that how quickly this movie goes by because once the red light scene hits, that's kind of like the first climax. There's kind of like almost two climaxes because there's a climax and then there's the in-between section. Um, I almost call it the Jurassic Park effect where that movie has, it seems like a climax and then they still have to deal with the raptors inside of the actual complex. And then after they're safe from the raptors, which is like the second climax, 
it it is a little oddly spaced there towards the end, but it is kind of the downhill effect once that all hits. So I don't have a problem with the pacing. I feel like we've learned enough about these characters. Clearly, there's room for improvement, and that's why we're getting a sequel. Clearly, this probably could have mm -hmm. been done as a miniseries and been eight hours long, and we, we may have enjoyed it just as much. I don't know. It, it is surprising right. to see a movie this short, but pack so much and have so much to say about, you know, parents. I mean, my favorite um, lines in the movie, not many to choose from, <laughs> but my That's favorite true. lines. That's fair. <laughs> my favorite lines is when um, the ma, when the wife says to her husband, who are we if we can't protect them? Promise me you'll protect them. And I think that's a really poignant question of, you know, there's this burden that they have. It Life would be easier without these kids, but that's kind of their reason for living also is to raise these kids to make them into strong individuals. So there's a, there's a lot this movie has to say without actually saying oh, yeah. it about some of that stuff. Right, right. No, absolutely. And that's like one of those main, like, one of its main focuses, right, is that of parenthood. I, we brought it up a few times, right? It's that's probably one of its more one of the more things that it focuses on the most is like how you, when you raise a kid, right? Of course, you want to raise them right, right? Um, but when you have a world, when you have them, you're trying to raise them in a world that's a bit more ugly. You know, how do you protect them, right? That's that kind of like the big question of the film and when we get to that scene when and after i believe it's after emily blunt after she gives birth um and she's in like the safe room or whatever um yeah she asks that question that you just brought up like you know you have to are you going to we have to protect them we can't like we can't do what happened before right so there is most definitely a, a theme of parenthood in this and raising your own child you know how do you do that in a world that's uh, pretty ugly outside you know how do you, how do you do that so you can see that the daughter wants to grow up. She wants to go out and hunt with her dad. She doesn't really want to be confined to just helping her mom around the house. She doesn't feel like she's a little kid anymore. And she just really wants that relationship with her dad. But at the same time, he doesn't want her to go down there because that's the really kind of adult side of life where he's trying to figure out how to kill these creatures. He has all the newspaper clippings. You know, he has all these video feeds. He's not ready yet for her to be that involved with what they're doing because mm -hmm. she's still pretty young. He still wants to keep that childhood innocence as much as possible, as long as possible within her, retain that childhood. So it is hard that in this world where you kind of have to grow up quickly, the parents are still trying to retain some of that innocence, even though it's, it's hard. So I like that yeah. once that that's at the end, the daughter, she kind of has this revelation when she sees that the dad was trying to, he was, he was cares about her so much. He's trying to work on the seemingly impossible task of creating some kind of uh hearing aid that will allow her to actually hear. And uh, that just shows her how much he cared about her. Um, I got to ask, Alan, were you surprised John Krasinski gets killed? He dies in this movie. When I was in the theater. Yeah, I was surprised when I, I got yeah. first when the monster hit him. I was like, OK, that's all they're going to do. He's going to be fine. But it's like right after that, <laughs> um, he stands back up and he lures the monster back to him and it kills him. I was in the theater. I was like, oh, I didn't think they were actually going to do it. I thought he was going to survive. 
So yeah. yeah, no, I when I'm in the theater, I was surprised to see this happen. Absolutely. And you know, it is kind of ironic too that while he was working while John Christensen's character, while he was working on the hearing aid for his daughter, um, come to find out the weakness of these monsters is just that overbearing, like white or the overbearing sound, right? Um, it's it's kind of ironic that, you know, the thing that attracts them also ends up being their downfall. That's also their weakness. Uh, while sound is the thing that they want to attack, it's all, it's the thing that, you know, that also brings them to their knees. That, I feel like that's pretty ironic for monsters uh, that create so much fear in the story. I love that aspect about the film is in a society that seems to be fairly nihilistic survival of the fittest mindset with a lot of stuff no it's mm -hmm. really not the strong who survive the weak perish because the strong he's he's the strongest of them all at least physically and he does die but on purpose is a really beautiful sacrifice that they put into this movie but it shows that everybody even if you're deaf even if you're silent in a silent world you still have a purpose to play and there is still something that you can do yeah her you know being deaf is actually the key to defeating these monsters just kind of like putting a feedback for a microphone up next to a speaker or something it is really mm -hmm. unique but yeah there's a there's a lot of this stuff in this movie that i'm honestly shocked about because it's no surprise that Hollywood is very liberal in most of the themes that they push in this movie. But at least from what I picked up from watching this movie multiple times, and I know other people have seen this too, this movie definitely seems to be pro-life. Because now, I'm not saying they wrote that specifically on purpose. But nevertheless, these people are having a baby in a world where should you really be bringing a life into it? But nevertheless, they are still right. going to choose life over that. Um, I also saw there's probably a case to be made about why why you need a gun in case these monsters <laughs> come around. Um, right. We also see this family praying around the table, which is something you almost never see in movies. Um, so there's a lot to this movie that has a lot of, you know, big Hollywood names involved that I know when it came out, a lot of people were shocked to see that mm -hmm. they had these themes in it because that runs very much counter towards what Hollywood pushes out. I think you're definitely right that, you know, this movie is, and, and I think there is a case for it, right? That this movie is somewhat pro-life, right? Bringing, uh, bringing a child into this um, well, it also brings it up, up thematically that, you know, how you want to take care of a kid that you couldn't really take care of about a year ago this time. Um, you know, when it comes to parenting, maybe that is kind of what John Christensen was going for. I, I, I agree. I think that there could be a case that could be made for something like that. Um, but you're right. There are some uh, things in here that are leaning away from what you would normally see in a Hollywood picture. Um while he does do some shocking things like, you know, kill the son, the youngest son off right <laughs> off the bat. Um, yep. It's also more of the catalyst to bring in some more family, like more family themes, uh, especially those that are maybe not so they don't exactly, you know, align with every other movie that's being made today. I do want to know what you think about this creature. 
because I like how they don't consistently show this creature and uh, mm -hmm. which kind of makes me think of like Cloverfield. This is a classic trick that they've done since Jaws. And uh, maybe you yeah. could make a case for yeah. before that, but no, mostly Jaws is where it really started. And in the special features, Krasinski talked a lot about, they brought up Jaws like all the time in the special features, how they kind of wanted it mm -hmm. to do that. But they were also talking about, Krasinski talked about how much he loves Hitchcock and wanted to bring in that Hitchcockian suspense to it as well. So I want to know, what do you think of this creature? Do you think it's used effectively? Um, but then I also want to know what you think of the creature design, because then towards the end, we see it a lot. And I've got thoughts on it. Right. I, it is a really weird looking creature, right? And I looked it up about midway through the film. I wanted, cause I knew it wasn't, a, and nothing was surprising to me, right, at this point, because I'd already seen it before. So I wanted to know before the creatures, like they really show up and start uh, causing more, more problems later on in the film after the first, uh, after the sun died, I wanted to know what they look like. Um, so I looked them up. They're very human-like, surprisingly, like, like, a, like a very deformed human, right? Um, like a very deformed human with like really long arms and really weird-looking legs, and you like you can make out um, like the hip bones of a human. So it, it has like somewhat of the same structure. So it it has a really strangely, oddly alien, but also human-like quality to it. Which I think just kind of leads into the fact of like if it's going to if it hears something it's going to just attack it right something that it doesn't like it's going to attack right which we find out at the end of the film um, it isn't until there's an overbearing amount of sound that's when or like a sound frequency that just hurts it that's when it backs away and opens up its weakness so if if John Krasinski is going for like a, maybe like a group of people um, who attack everything that they don't like. Um, I would say that this is most definitely what he I could see where he was most definitely leaning towards, um, especially designing these monsters around like somewhat of that human like quality. I thought it kind of at least the head and part of the body. I thought it kind of reminded me of I don't I haven't played the game. I know you've played it, Alan. The creatures in Resident Evil 2. Are they called lickers? Yeah, uh, I forget the name of them, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah, they, they there is a design. Um, Similarity between them, yeah. I'd say that. Yeah, I mean, they kind of have the same bulbous head, sharp teeth. So this creature was designed by ILM, who are no schlubs when it comes to designing <laughs> this stuff. So I think it's des yep. designed just fine. I really like the acoustic movements of the head, how it kind of like pulls its head apart and likes to hear things that way. And they said they wanted it to move like a school of fish, which I thought was very fascinating. Um, and Krasinski said he pulled inspiration from old John Attenborough documentaries about like prehistoric fish and creatures like just prehistoric creatures. So I thought that was interesting as well. Mm -hmm. um, I got to say, once we do fully see the creature design, I'm not crazy about it. I think in some ways I'm a little disappointed by it. I think they could do something different. Um, I don't know. Parts of it just feel like been there, done that. Maybe you, maybe you didn't care. Maybe I'm being too nitpicky with it. But for me, it's not my favorite creature design. Yeah, no, I can see why you feel like it's more like, oh, been there, done that. Um, I feel like a creature design, something like this, I think it walks on four legs where its legs kind of like claws or whatever. Uh, this is like, Almost, mm -hmm. it kind of reminds me of a bit of Cloverfield, 
Um, yeah. It's also a monster design that is like almost like it's used a lot of other movies, like the same like basic shape. Um, I like it because it has, I think I like it more because it has a very human quality to it, which makes it just kind of more eerie. Like it's almost like a zombie like thing, but we know that least as far as we are aware, at least uh, that zombies aren't a part of this world that John Krasinski has made. Um, but I think it's the human quality to it that I, I'm like really interested in um, when it comes to these monsters. Yeah, I will say that, I mean, I, I kind of like that as well as it's humanoid in certain aspects, but that also, there's just lots of uh, elements in this movie that make me think of The Last of Us. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking about this, especially because I know HBO is developing. They're adapting at least the first video game from what I've heard of The Last of Us into a movie. Mm -hmm. We've already got it in some ways. I think that this, while clearly not the same thing, I think this is kind of get your fix if you don't want to play the game or if you want to kind of have that certain feelings of the world. I think this is a really nice companion piece to The Last of Us and... Uh, I like that we're, we kind of have a similar feel like Krasinski makes me think of Joel. The daughter kind of gives me this sassy Ellie type feel. Um, I do kind of like how they've clearly that video game is absolutely huge. And clearly that was probably right. somewhat of an influence on it as well. I just like to see that. I think they've done a fine job of bringing in my favorite parts of The Last of Us and kind of putting it into this movie. So I don't know. Did you ever think about right. the similarities? I'll say this: the post-apocalyptic genre is a is 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 subject to a lot of copy and paste. <laughs> um, <laughs> where uh, it feels like whenever we have a post-apocalyptic movie, they have to do certain things in order for it to be considered one of those, right? Um, so I think you're right. I think that there are some similarities between you know this movie and The Last of Us. But at the same time, there are also a lot of similarities between The Last of Us and The Walking Dead. Like, they have nothing really to do with each other outside of that they're a zombie post-apocalyptic setting. Um, but at the same time, right, because it's post-apocalyptic and setting, a lot of things that pull from that almost feel like they pull off the exact same checklist. Um, so I agree. There are definitely some similarities there. Um, uh, but at the same time, it's not anything outside of what I'm already used to with something like this. There's really only like two things that I had an issue with in this movie, aside from the creature design, which I mean, I'm not like wasn't hardcore frustrated about or anything, but they never close the doors in this movie. They so the creatures just walk into the room constantly. And I know that was something that was really getting on my wife's nerves is she's like, they already know you're there. They're already like going to walk down the stairs. Why not make it harder on them? Close the doors. Never, ever do they close doors. And they also left all those picture frames up on the wall, which to me seemed like a sound hazard, especially because she like touches one. And I'm like, if there's any kind of little earthquake or if you bump into it, there, and there's a ton of them up on the wall too. Those just seemed like oversights that this movie made, which I was kind of surprised about. I mean, at the same time, though, wouldn't doors be like causing too much sound? So why not just take them off just to, you know, not even have to worry mm -hmm. about closing the door uh, lightly or whatever? I can see why that's, that's why they don't have any. I don't actually, I don't even think they have any doors. Um, I think that they're all taken off the hinges. 
Well, then they should have taken the picture frames off the walls. I mean, okay, that I can't argue. <laughs> that I think you're right about that. <laughs> um, in fact, in fact, kind of going off of like you know sound and stuff, I feel like that's also somewhat inconsistent with like what makes how what makes a loud enough sound to attract these monsters. Um, because like you know, how do we know? How would you know when something is loud enough that it's a danger, right? Um, because at one point, you know, they're like, they're hanging out in the house and whatnot, they're not making much sound, they're like playing a game or whatever, um, with, I think they're cloth, uh, pieces on a Monopoly board. Yeah. Right. Um, but then they also have a safe room that was built for, I guess, when mom gave birth. Um, why don't they have more of those? Like they're, they're surround all at the same time too, the, where they're mostly at for the most part when they're hanging out as a family is all covered by hard surfaces. Why not put up a few mattresses or something that's softer, like a like a comforter, to dampen the sounds so you can actually like maybe like talk to each other inside the room, even if it is that big. Like I think they're like in a barn. You know, yeah. everything that they're around is a hard surface. Why not put something up that would dampen the sound? Maybe even, you know, have it to a point where you can talk without having to worry about attracting those monsters. Yeah, they well, at least they eat on lettuce, lettuce leaves instead of plates. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Yeah, I, I also felt like they were teasing out the usage of the gun a little too much there. First of all, why didn't they have a gun with them in case of emergencies on their first trip in what I call the prologue of this movie? Because that thing is running at his son. I get it. He's trying to grab them beforehand and then i guess they're just supposed to be quiet i feel like if he would have had a gun he at least would have had a better chance of shooting that thing and then at the end they don't use the gun until it's like right up in her face so i think that is probably a little inconsistent of when they use it or why aren't they using it and i get it they find out the secret weapon is basically creating like really strong feedback but that as well i'm like Little surprise, he didn't have a gun with him in the beginning. I know it's going to attract more noise and monsters, but if it's going to save your son's life, I don't know. So there's some inconsistencies between the beginning and end. I guess they learned their lesson and they went out and bought a shotgun or something. And that's why they have it with them right. all the time now. Whereas, because you see him running with it, you see her using it in the beginning. It seems like they don't have any weapons, which is kind of weird, but eh, right. it's it's not a deal breaker for me. Right. And that, that's kind of another thing, too, is that I kind of mentioned this a little bit ago. Um, mm-hmm. At a certain point in this film, in fact, I think it's when um, it's right after the the scene when the father and son have a discussion that like they talk outside by the waterfall. Um, it feels like things just kind of like start to slow down when in, ter- in terms of progressing these characters. Um because there's like a big like suspenseful scene and things just kind of when it comes to progression um things just kind of start slowing down like a lot after after a certain point in the film um which isn't necessarily a bad thing but i see it more as like this film is very simple right there isn't like a whole lot to this movie but at the same time Mm -hmm. that i think is also to somewhat of his detriment where after a certain point where i felt like the characters really weren't growing there wasn't much in terms of progression that was happening um after a certain point in this film um, I feel like maybe that was because this film is just too simple. Like there's just not enough. Um, like you mentioned, like the original script here was like 60 something pages long. Um, I can, I feel like after a certain point, 
you know, the film in terms of progression just starts to really slow down and it becomes more about the suspense and the action, which is not necessarily a bad thing. Um, but in terms of like, you know, building these characters and progressing, it, I feel like it kind of starts to slow down um, for a good, a, a good chunk of the film, at least for me. See, I see it the opposite way. I see it as this movie is kind of like you, maybe you see it this way too. It's kind of like in two halves where at least the first half is less about the suspense. Clearly we get world building, but it's also we get these characters that are very frustrated with each other and they really just don't know how to deal with things. But then the second kind of half of this movie is the kind of the follow through with that as well, where the daughter has to learn to kind of, put her differences aside with her dad. And I think there's also kind of the heartbreak that of that as well is that this e this is the last moment these characters will get with the father figure with all of them, not the father figure with the father. That's the last moments they'll mm. ever get with them. And so his character really all comes down to sacrifice essentially and doing what he can. But the son also learns courage because the son has been very afraid this whole time of just little things. So it's just about growing up. Um, the daughter kind of makes that sacrifice of it's very painful for her to go through that sound, um, in her head, but then that's kind of the key. So, I mean, I never, I never saw it that way at all of these characters slowing down. I think this is just where everything all comes to a head at this one point. And I think that's just real life is you never know when this is just all going to happen and you're all going to have to deal with it. But I will say at least these characters follow through with things set up in the beginning. Now, they may not have been very strong setups, but I think at least their emotional arcs are very satisfying for me. It sounds like it's the opposite for you, but for me, yeah, that's the way I see it. Yeah, I don't necessarily have a problem with like like their arcs and like how they come to that conclusion. Um, more that when it gets to a certain point, like, you know, it's this movie feels like it's like is some like it's building and building and building to a certain thing. And then after like about, I think it's almost about halfway through, it's like, it's like a third act from then until the end, like the third act is just super long um, where it's not building necessarily, but more like, okay, we built these characters up to a certain point. Now let's put them up against what they've been learning and see if they either like, you know, go along with that and actually like finish off what they need to do to finish the arc, or if they're going down, or if they're going to go down uh, a downfall, which none of them do, of course. Um, go down the downfall, they all end up taking on what they were challenged with in the beginning. The problem is, I think, is that it spends like almost forty minutes trying to prove that. I felt. Yeah, I mean, I will agree. The third act is strangely long because when you mm. do see the red lights and the fireworks and everything kick off. That's to me where the third act begins. I mean, I guess there's a possible there's a possible argument to be made that is the end of the second act. And then when he has to go out and find his children is when the third act begins. There's a lot of components to the third act where he does. They do have to the father and son have to run into the farm to rescue the wife. Then the uh, there's a monster in the flooded basement, which really doesn't have much of a payoff it seems like then the daughter and well the son gets separated then the daughter meets up with him then they have the fight in the grain silo and then the daughter the, the father has to go find them and then he gets killed and then they go back and have the final battle 
in the basement. So it's a lot for a third act. So if that's what you're saying, I can agree with you insofar as the third act is kind of crammed for a 90 minute movie. Mm -hmm. They're kind of backloading it in some ways with a lot of that stuff. I do. I mean, I, I, it doesn't feel quite organic. I will say it feels a little clunky, but I will say I'm kind of more so willing to overlook it because this movie is 90 minutes. It's going to be over soon. And I, I think they keep the pace up well enough, even if there is, it is a little bit of a roller coaster with highs and lows there during the third act. So, I mean, of all, of all the acts, the third act is definitely the most problematic, but in some ways I still kind of like it because like I said, it's kind of like, what if you take a short story and you made it into a 90 minute movie? And I think they did a pretty good job with that, but they probably could cut down some stuff on the third act because it becomes almost too much. I would say with, um, encounters where it's just almost a little too much, I would say. Yeah. And that's kind of what I was saying earlier. Um, when I said that, you know, I felt some of the pacing, felt a bit clunky is mostly with this part of the film. It's the second half of the film where it feels like it's a third act from the second half into the very end. Um, or so it, yeah, I would say that pacing while it is brisk and it is nice and it definitely gets by, it goes by pretty quick at the same time, you know, um, that the last half of the film feels like it just goes on for a little bit longer than the, than the first half. Um, but you're right. It's not any, again. It's not anything like that's probably my biggest negative is is that second half. Um, but it's not like anything like it's going to bring down the entire film for me either. So, well, Alan, are you ready for our final thoughts? Yeah. All right, Alan. Uh, I'm <laughs> I'm curious because uh, I know my score, but I don't know your score yet. So, what is your rating and recommendation for A Quiet Place? You know, maybe this is a film where letting it sit for a, a while and then coming back to it later um, definitely gives you a, a much better or a much different insight into what my, at least what my thoughts were. Because I initially gave this, I think, like an eight when I walked out of the theater. And then I ended up dropping it down to a six. Um, but now my score has changed again. It's kind of right in the middle of those two. It's a seven. Um, I think that A Quiet Place is a very intriguing film for me. It's very simple. I feel like at times maybe a bit too simple where things just kind of start to drag a little bit. Um, but it's all at the same time, it's unique, right? We don't really see a film like this come out very often, especially one from, uh, well, I would consider John Krasinski to be a pretty big name, right? I mean, he was in the office. I think that's like one of his big, like what everyone knows him from, right? So seeing an actor turn into someone of a director, that's not anything new, but it's always exciting to see. So A Quiet Place, I think is a fun film and I will probably end up blowing it on Blu-rays at some point. Um, but I think that there are still some things here where it feels like I could feel where it came from that, that more like a short story spun out to an hour and a half. Um, not that it's boring, but that I feel like there are moments where things just start to drag. So I still, I still like this film. I think it's a good movie. Um, seven out of 10. still going to be a recommend for me though. A Quiet Place is a masterpiece in a modern day thrills and chills. Thanks to the dynamic sound design, you're transported to the bleak, dreadful, 
and terrifying not-too-distant future. It's clear that Krasinski and crew have studied Spielberg and Hitchcock, creating one of the most tense theatrical experiences since Jaws. And yet, while this horror-slash-thriller is intense, it also offers hope. The couple is still having a baby. They live to sacrifice for their kids. They are a God-fearing, positive role model of a family. Something we really don't see in movies anymore. At least, not all three of those. I am surprised that this movie has a lot of conservative cultural viewpoints. It doesn't shove it in our face, but it's there and not apologizing for it. Every time I watch this movie, I find something new. It's a heartwarming and heart-wrenching to watch this family's relationship diminish and grow. I truly believe this film got snubbed at the Oscars. It was my third favorite film of 2018, and... I was curious to see if my rating would change as well from the previous viewings, and it hasn't. I'm giving A Quiet Place 9 stars out of 10 with a strong recommend. (laughs) Yep, that's what I gave it. I mean, I can understand that, right? Yeah, yep, that's what I gave it out of the theater. That's what I gave it a couple months later. And even now, there's something... I think the reason it is a nine is because I hate to say this, but very, very few movies that come out nowadays are actually like really good or actually do something different or are at least trying to just purely make a movie and just tell a story and just really try and do a good job Mm -hmm. of it. You know, this isn't a payday. This isn't a cash grab or anything like that. Um, I hate to say it, but most movies that come out are kind of garbage. (laughs) <laughs> there's the diamond in the rough there's the parasite there's the uh green book there's this movie but there's really just not much else and so i think that's also why i appreciate this movie so much also i got my degree in english i've written and published a few short stories i just love short stories and i love seeing them kind of come to life so i think i have more of a affinity for this movie in that way. Um, so I do own it on Blu-ray. I did, I think it was a Christmas present a couple years ago. And so I'm really happy that I own it on Blu-ray. It's definitely one that uh, I would recommend people pick up and it has a great sound. If you want people to kind of uh, see what your sound can do as far as scaring people and really kind of working the environment, this is a good Atmos track for it. Oh yeah, I would, I could definitely understand that i haven't watched it in a home theater but from what i remember in the theater experience that is very true that if there's anything about this movie that makes it stand out um it's most definitely how it uses its sound yeah and um i was i was said i was going to talk about what i thought for the oscars i thought this now alan you'll probably disagree with me <laughs> but i thought this movie should have been nominated for Best Picture, Krasinski should have got directing, maybe even screenplay. Definitely should have been nominated for production design. Uh, At least it got nominated for sound. I think it should have also been nominated for cinematography. Um, So basically, I thought this movie should have got a ton of Oscars. It got one. What a surprise. Thanks, Academy. Stupid choices. But yeah, I was honestly very disappointed when the Oscars rolled around and I saw this just got one where I think it easily could have gotten more nominations. Yeah, I I can't 
I can't say the same. Um, ex- exactly. Um, the fact that it got a sound editing nomination, it most definitely deserves. Why it went to Bohemian Rhapsody, I will never understand. Um, and I can also see a directing nomination for John Krasinski because I think he does do a, a good job here. That's about. I think that's about the two I could definitely. I should. I would definitely like to see. I would have liked to see at the Oscars. But of course, as we all understand. The Oscars that took place in 2019 were uh, were more like imposter Oscars than <laughs> than what we're usually used to. You know, I think even the kids, we didn't talk about them much, but I think they did a really good job as well. Yeah. Um, that uh, little boy is actually British and it's really cool because really? he, yeah, he is. Um, he didn't know sign language, but... Um, that girl just taught him some sign language on the set. And so was, he learned it like really well. So he must be really smart. Um, everybody on the set just had nothing but nice things to say about him that he's like actually a seriously mm-hmm. good actor. And I think he's one to watch. I think uh, Noah, I don't know how to say his last name, Jupe, probably wrong. But he's one to mm-hmm. watch because I think he could really go on to do some really amazing stuff. Um, George Clooney. I guess he had just come off of Suburbicon with George Clooney and Clooney was like, this kid's incredible. Um, he's, he's just amazing. So, and the girl was fantastic as well. Um, they did some really amazing stuff, especially because she is deaf and how they worked that into the movie and just the on screen. I will say this on screen chemistry with the family is very real. It's very well done. Yeah, it is. Well, Alan, what else do you recommend that our listeners check out? You know, I really got some Jordan Peele vibes off of this movie. And maybe that's just because <laughs> it's like, it's more unique horror, right? Mm-hmm. John, uh, Both this movie and most definitely Jordan Peele's movies, they're very unique in terms of how they go about horror, right? So I'm going to recommend both Us and Get Out. Uh, I think Get Out came out around the same time as this. Um, so those are the two I recommend. Um, if you like some more unique horror uh, that's in the same vein as this, I would say both either of those or both of them would be just fine. Yeah, speaking of Cloverfield, I'm not going to recommend the original. <laughs> I'm I'm going to recommend 10 Cloverfield Lane. Okay. I don't know how you couldn't watch this movie and not also get some of the same feelings as 10 Cloverfield Lane. They're both, I think, solid thrillers. Um, they're both kind of about aliens and monsters seemingly. Um, I think Drew Goddard produced in Cloverfield Lane, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and he's actually a good friend of Krasinski. And I know they talked on this, uh, talked on this movie, gave him some pointers, but I loved in Cloverfield Lane. We have reviewed that movie. I think it's actually, um, better than this one, but not by much. So I'll link to our review for 10 Cloverfield Lane. So you can check that one out. Yeah, that's a, that's a good recommendation. You're absolutely right. Yeah, there are definitely it. those same vibes here. Yeah, uh, your Jordan Peele ones make a lot of sense too. I I didn't even think about that until you brought it up. I was like, oh yeah, yep. There's a lot of originality across these films. But mm-hmm. speaking of originality, how original is Bird Box? We are going to find out next week. I only watched it once and that was months after it had come out. Everybody was talking about it. I don't know. I'm curious to revisit it. Um, I'll save my thoughts for the movie for next week. I don't want to give anything away. 
But I'm um, curious because I know that there was a lot of hype on this one, and I said not gonna <laughs> not gonna go there because I bet you it's probably lie. not great. So we'll see what happens <laughs> next week when I finally do get to sit around and watch it for the first time. I'm really curious to know about this. I'm really really curious. I'm curious to revisit it and see if my feelings have improved or what's the opposite disproved. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see where our our feelings are at. But Alan, thanks for joining me. Sure thing. All right, listeners. The question after the show is if you lived in this world, what would you do? How would you watch movies? (laughs) If I mean, how would you listen to podcasts? I hope you got headphones. That's what I'm curious about. Well, listeners, thanks for joining us on our review of A Quiet Place. Don't forget, we will be reviewing A Quiet Place Part 2 in a couple months when it comes out around this fall, and hopefully it does stay with that fall release. Of course, we'll keep you updated on that. But yeah, I mean, we should have seen this Quiet Place Part 2 just a couple days ago, so at least we kind of got our Quiet Place fix for now. It was great to revisit that movie after a couple of years. Curious to know what a lot of you think. I know the scores for this movie across the board were pretty positive. If you want to know what those scores are, go ahead and check out your guide to a quiet place. And of course, make sure to subscribe and join us next week. We love talking about movies. We love talking about them with you. So share with your friends and family. And next week, listeners, we will see you with Bird Box. Hey listeners, it's Corbin. Don't forget to check out the exciting links in the description below that will connect you with more great movie reviews for your listening pleasure and our YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter page. And of course, our official website where you can read great articles and sign up for our free weekly newsletter. Also, if you want exclusive bonus content such as extra movie reviews, movie commentaries, and our thoughts on the latest movie news and trailers, plus more, then check out our Patreon page. It's a great way to help keep this show free, and it gives you great content that's yours to keep. All of that and more is found in the description below. Don't forget to subscribe whether you're on YouTube, Apple, Google, or Stitcher, or your favorite podcast service. And while you're at it, please leave us a five-star review so other movie lovers can more easily find our podcast. We love talking about movies, and we love talking about them with you. So don't forget to share with your friends and family, and we'll see you next week, listeners. The Silver Screen Guide podcast is edited and produced by Alan and Corbin. Intro and outro music is created by Thomas Rankin. The thoughts and opinions herein expressed are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent those held by Silver Screen Guide. Silver Screen Guide is not affiliated with any company or individual involved with the creation of this movie or TV show. No portion of the podcast may be used without express written permission from Silver Screen Guide. Here on the podcast and we'll be ready to talk about it. I could basically give this plot summary right now, even though I haven't written it technically. <laughs>
I was just about to say, I could start off this and say, well, you know, Corbin, for all the complex plots we've been giving you, I'm glad you got to do one that's rather simple again. We'll see if yeah. I keep that um, when I go to edit. <laughs> yeah, it most definitely is. And I, if I'm not mistaken, it's the scene when, with it is that waterfall scene where we finally get our first lines of dialogue, like spoken lines of dialogue. Um, and it looks like, Hold on. Okay, never mind. I got an email. No. I thought it was from my agent for my apartment, but it's actually for our AC that's currently broken. Oh, welcome um, in the apartment. Join the join the club. Yeah, yeah. We, we just got ours fixed uh, a couple actually, days ago. <laughs> oh, you did? Yeah. Ours has been broken uh, since winter. They decided that they were going to wait until after winter to fix it. Oh, those jerks. Luckily, it's been cool enough where it hasn't been, been that big of a problem. That's good. And also, there's just lots of uh, elements in this movie that make me think of The Last of Us. So, when I yeah. was watching this movie, I wrote down... Uh, where did I write it down? Crap. Uh, don't worry, I'm going to find it. Um, okay, when in doubt, control F. Yes, always your friend. Ah, found it. I was curious to see if my rating would change, and it hasn't. Well, wait a minute. Did it change? I got to check Letterbox real quick. I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> One second. I, uh, nope, nope. It's exactly the same.